tell you, I'll start at the beginning and get through that very quickly. I was in Los Angeles, uh, living in Los Angeles, and, <laughs> and I was reading Raymond Chandler, and, you know, the great uh, crime writer, and he wrote about a man called Herbert Wallace, who he considered an insoluble uh, crime uh, of murdering his wife, and everything that said he had done it, that he'd killed her, is counterbalanced in the same story by saying, well, he couldn't have done because of this. And this Wallace case started to fascinate me, and I wanted to write it. So I came back to England and started phoning around to try and get information. There were two or three books about the Wallace case. He was a horrible sort of gaslit wanker in Liverpool in 1931 and indeed had murdered his wife. I knew instinctively that he'd done it. And I started phoning around to get information on him. I wanted to get a, a copy of the police transcripts and all the rest of it, and I had no luck. I called the Law Society. I ended up calling uh, the, the uh, archive department at Scotland Yard, and they said to me, no, we haven't got anything at all on Wallace, but here's a phone number of someone who might be able to help you. So I called the number, and I'm 10 minutes into a conversation with this guy, and he said to me, you're not you're not Bruce Robinson, are you? And I said, yeah. And he said, oh, I'm Keith. And I hadn't seen Keith Skinner for 35 years. We were both in Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet together, a couple of bum boys round the back. He was a younger one than me, 17, and I was about 20. And now he's running this little firm of a true crime research firm. So I said, oh, wow, Keith, can you get me some Wallace stuff? Yes, I can, he thought. So we met for lunch, and we're sitting there having a curry, and he said, well, yeah, Wallace, it's a great case, but it's nothing like the mother. And the mother, of course, was Jack the Ripper, and he said, the problem with that is no one's ever going to bust it. And I think it was a fiver. I said, I bet you a fiver I could. <laughs> it took me 15 years of intense work on this story to, uh, to find out who this, uh, forgive me, I have to call him a prick, I call him a prick in the book, who this prick was. And he was an enormous psychopathic prick, the Ripper. No glamour about him, he's been turned into a kind of Robin Hood figure over the years in all these interminable books about Jack the Ripper, uh, um, which I had to read. And I went right back to the beginning of this story uh, to look at it, I, I hoped, anew. One of the things in, in his series of murders that was very obvious, very quickly, obviously, uh, he was a, a serial killer, uh, but what was very obvious, very quickly obvious, is, is that there was a method in, in this serial killing. There was a, a technique that he used over and over again. Uh, and what I mean by that is if he'd murdered these women... Uh, and, and displayed them like a crucifix with a kind of wound in the side and driven nails into their hands, we'd have thought, wow, there's some kind of religious nut abroad. But he didn't do that. What he did do was he cut their throats and he ripped them. I'm sorry to talk about this. It's very horrible, and the book isn't about this at all. This is just incidental to the book. But he ripped them open, got their guts out, and shoved it on either their left or their right shoulder. He also removed all the metal 
from their bodies, whether they were metal cigarette cases, uh, metal rings, metal anything, metal hair clips, whatever it was. So we're clearly looking at, at the word, completely escapes me, and I know not why, uh, but we're looking at a serial killer who is repeating himself again and again and again. So my question was, well, what is this repetition? What does it represent? It means something to this guy, to this murderer. What is it? I started doing research uh, all over the place and discovered that inside Freemasonry, the penalties uh, involved in the Masonic Oath are having your throat cut across your stomach ripped open, your entrails taken out of your uh, uh, guts and thrown over your shoulder, all metal objects and bits and pieces of metal removed from, from your body. So I thought, Christ, maybe there's something here and maybe this is the ritual. We know we're looking at a ritual. Is this the ritual? Could it be anything to do with Freemasonry? Now, I couldn't look at the Ripper because... He's hidden, but I could look at the police, and I could look at the way the police were reacting to these most terrible crimes and the escalation of them, and the letters that the police of the day and ripperologists later said were hoaxes coming in uh, from members of the public uh, to confuse the police. I researched the letters and found stuff inside the letters that could only have been written by the murderer, Therefore, I dismissed this hoax thing immediately and started reading these letters. And the letters repeatedly talked about the funny little game he was playing. So what was the funny little game? Cut to Sir Charles Warren, who was in charge of the... the I'm getting terrible feedback on here. Is this all right? Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh. Uh, Sir Charles Warren, who was head of Metropolitan Police was a very, very senior Freemason. As a matter of fact, he ran a, um, the, the world's first Masonic lodge of Masonic research called the Quattro Coronati. The fourth hit the Ripper made, he killed two women on the same night, uh, and he left a message on a wall after the second murder. The, this guy, Warren, leaps out of bed. It's the first time he'd ever been into the East End of London. He leapt out of bed four in the morning, rushed down to the East End, not to check out these murders, but to wipe the message off the wall that, that the Ripper had left on the wall, followed by massive obfuscation saying that he'd never written it. Meanwhile, that same night, a Warren's head of the Metropolitan Police, the head, same officer, but in the city police, comes down to the same message on the same wall and is determined that this message, for that's what it was, would be photographed because it obviously was very, very vital evidence. Now I had two of the most senior policemen in England, one desperate to preserve this as evidence and the other one desperate to, dis to destroy it. And it was at that kind of fulcrum in my research that I knew I was going to find Jack the Ripper. I knew I was going to get him. Because how can you have one cop saying, I want it, and the other cop saying, I don't? So, as I say, I couldn't follow the Ripper, but I could follow his victims, and I could follow the coppers. 
it became very quickly clear that all of the senior officers in the Metropolitan Police were Freemasons. All of the coroners and coroner's courts uh, were run by Freemasons. And a good deal of the press was Masonic. The top Freemason in the whole world in this time was later to be Edward VII, Prince of Wales, who was the boss Mason. And knocking on through him, through the police, through the press, through the judiciary, him at the pinnacle of it, going right the way down through the police to guess who I discovered was Jack the Ripper. He had to be a Mason. And what he was doing was playing a funny little game with Freemasonry. About 30 years ago, a guy called Stephen Knight wrote a book about Freemasons and uh, being involved in the Jack the Ripper murders. And the Freemasons vilified this poor guy, Knight, and said he'd made up this most astonishing and evil rubbish about Masonry to attack Masonry. By the way, I haven't got a downer on Masons at all. Uh, and I worked back through Knight's story. Where did he get it? He didn't wake up one weekend hating uh, Freemasons. The story was originally disseminated, put about by a very senior Freemason who then sort of hid himself. So the whole Knight saga of Masonry going off the cliff with the Duke of Clarence, who was accused of being ludicrously, he was in Scotland at the time, uh, but he was also a 33rd degree Freemason, he was accused of being the Ripper for a while, and it was ridiculous. However, when Clarence was knocked out of the scenario, Masonry went with him. So I had a lot of difficulty, and still do have a lot of difficulty, with Freemasons attacking this story, because God knows why they want to protect the bloody idiot. I don't know. Um, I actually stuffed it. You'll have to forgive me. I've got flu, and so... Um, I'm not very, very clear in my head, but I, wanna, I just want to read this thing I found the other day that uh, was sent to me. This is an example of the criticism of, of my book um, from the Freemasons. Let me just get at it. I have to put glasses on for it. I'm sorry. Um, here's one. <coughs> this is a message on the wall. He says, to be honest, I think all this stuff about the message on the wall, meaning the three ruffians who were Freemasons, is complete codswallop, and I can't understand why anyone would give it a moment's credence. Obviously, I haven't read Robinson's book, and I don't have the slightest intention of doing so. <laughs> Life's too short. So that's the kind of stuff that I'm getting from, from the Masons in, in some effort to protect their star operator. Um, I'm sorry, I'm feeling so rough, I'm going to have to cut this short. Uh, all right, I won't cut it short. Then. <laughs> but I do, I feel all giddy up here. Um, can, can I have... Oh, I've got some water. Um, so what, what... Let me cut to the chase, then. The, 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 the person that I've actually isolated as, as being the Ripper had a very close symbiosis to these letters. These uh, so-called Jack the Ripper letters were coming from all over the country. And the idea being is that how can you have a Jack the Ripper in Aberdeen? How can you have another one in Bristol? How can you have a Jack the Ripper in Cardiff? And these letters coming in, 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 in. My candidate uh, that I discovered later 
was actually a very famous singer, 19th century singer. And I traced his tour movements to Cardiff, to Bristol, to Aberdeen, to Glasgow, and wherever he was singing, a Jack the Ripper letter emanated from that same town. And some of this stuff was making my hair stand on end because it seemed extraordinary and incredible that nobody had sort of busted into this. You know, it... it oh, no wonder I can't see you. I... <laughs> Sorry. I feel very peculiar. I do. I took a pill, you see. Um, where was I? I was talking about the letters. So the letters fitted this, um, this particular, my candidate, fitted him. Um, his, his, now, who was he? Uh, I started to research him. He was in the same Masonic lodge. Uh, incidentally, fr Freemasonry predicates its degrees. It jumps from sort of first degree through Master Mason, which is third degree, up to 33rd degree, which he predicates on the number of of, uh, uh, oh, please, yeah. Um, vertebrae in the human spine, 33rd, we're already there? Yeah, great, fantastic. <laughs> I, I can't wait to get off. <laughs> um, anyway, so, so my, my candidate for the Ripper uh, was a very, very senior Freemason indeed. He was in the same Masonic Lodge in the Supreme Grand Council as the king to be. I'll leave it at that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>